Welcome to Risk Roundup. Since we have created cyberspace and have connected machines in all different sizes and shapes through the internet, ensuring the integrity of its access became a priority. There is no surprise that over the years, we have spent billions of dollars on identity and access management for cyberspace. Now, surprisingly, almost all this money has been spent on protecting the digital identities of humans and not the digital identity of machines when it is the machines that are connected to the cyberspace. And this is a cause of great concern since the security of the cyberspace relies on the security of physical and digital machines. Now, since the meaning and definition of machine is undergoing radical changes and includes a wide ranging physical and virtual devices, hardware and software from many smart computers and virtual servers to growing number of applications and algorithms and blockchain and intelligent containers that run microservices. The number of connected physical and virtual machines is growing exponentially. As a result, there is a need to change the approach and focus more on machine identity and its authentication. To discuss machine identity further, I'm delighted to welcome Steven Sprague to Risk Roundup. Steven is the CEO of Rivets Corp, a director at Wave Systems Corp, and one of the principal industry evangelists for the application of trusted computing technology. Welcome, Steven. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Oh, thank you for having me. Wonderful, Stephen. So first of all, thank you so much for participating in Risk Roundup, even though you are facing a crisis on your farm. So thank you for that. <laughs> so the definition of machine is undergoing radical changes. It now includes a wide range of physical and virtual hardware and software of all shapes and sizes. And it, it is just keep growing, you know, and becoming more and more complex. So organizations that were managing a few thousand machines uh, you know, years, few years ago are now trying to manage hundreds of thousands or even millions of machines today. And these numbers are expected to grow further more and more as you know, IoT is you know, becoming more and more uh, applicable and uh, adapted by the industry. So as the number of machines in organization increases, the corresponding machine identity needs to, you know, be more effective and more, there needs to be more authentication. So this exponential growing growth complexity, the already complex challenges of maintaining effective organization-wide machine identity protection. So from your assessment, what are the key trends that you are witnessing for machine identity that organizations are facing today? So, so the real challenge that we have to address and, and the purpose behind machine identity is so that I know the, the quality of the device that's producing the data. So today, if I have a network of unknown devices, devices that just have MAC addresses that can be easily altered, then I have no idea that I, the device hasn't been replicated or cloned or is being impersonated. And so therefore the data from the device may or may not be the data that I intend to receive. And, and so at the heart, it's not about just building a network of machine identity, but the purpose of the machine identity is to establish um, the, the provenance of the data because we're relying very heavily on the data. And if the data comes from unknown devices, then we have, da then we have unknown data. And I think that's one of the critical aspects going forward. We've spent literally billions of dollars on authenticating users on unknown computers. And that's because in the original networks, there were no global networks. You just had a building 
and inside the building I had machines. And so I had to authorize the people in the building because we shared the machines. And the machines were safe because they weren't connected to anything outside the building. With the advent of the LAN back in the mid 1990s, we really started to, un, un, um, to decentralize the control and so we've tried for many years to continue to build the castle walls taller and stronger, but now really the castle walls are no longer working. And so there's a very fundamental shift that needs to happen. And it starts with machine identity so that we can understand what creates the data. And by doing that, we can then shift policy control for cybersecurity away from a connection from an unknown device and instead shift it to the creation or signing of data from a known device. And so we move to a network of known devices with known capabilities for producing known data. Now, I think you made an excellent point, and it is the data that is at the center of all these, you know, evolution that is happening in cyberspace because we depend on the data, and uh, data gives us information and intelligence, and that is what we all are after. So the data point that you made is absolutely right on target now, especially as we talk about the IoT Internet of Things. We are going to witness millions or billions of, you know, or maybe trillions of uh, IoT devices that will be added to cyberspace. You know, they will be connected to cyberspace. Now, each of most of these devices are disposable, you know, and very cheap, very affordable. So, a lot of time, the owner of these devices, the human owners, they, you know, are not very good at keeping a tab on that, you know, keeping, ensuring that uh, they take all the proper steps that needs to be taken for the uh, security and identity and authentication of uh, all those, you know, IoT machines. So how do you see this IoT adding to the complexity of this machine identity even, and we depend on that uh, IoT data even, even when it is, uh, irrespective of whether we, collect all the data and bring it to a centralized you know, place for uh, processing, or we keep it you know, in a decentralized manner and it, the processing happens right there on the IoT devices. It is still, you know, irrespective of that, the but IoT we, but we, complexity. But we learned how to do this. There, there's a little industry that we all use every day called the mobile industry. And the mobile industry shifted us from telephones that were connected by copper wires where the connection defined your phone number to a world now where a mobile device is registered to the network because you can't use your mobile phone until you register it with AT&T or T-Mobile and they have a little SIM chip in them that provides a tamper resistance identity. Now you don't need a SIM, it can be embedded within the processor or within the motherboard of the device, but fundamentally we understand that the shift from a copper-based connections-based network like a local area network, like all of global enterprise IT is built on a 1980s architecture. They haven't even dawned on them yet that there's this new architecture called mobile. And so the new model is I register the device. Once I register the device, then I can connect it to all of my other devices. A really good way to think of this is like a social network of things. Like you can't use WhatsApp until you log into what, until you register with WhatsApp and get a name. Once you get an identity, then I can talk to the whole world on any network, anytime, any place, anywhere. And, yes. and so you're shifting fundamentally from a connection. Oh, I plugged it into Jack 31 on the wall and that's hooked to port 45. And therefore we're gonna open port 45 and let the traffic in. 
from an unknown computational device that might have network upgrade capabilities, so you really know nothing about it, and instead shift to a model where I have an identity-based device that's registered, and I should be able to just throw it out into the open, and as long as it can find a Wi-Fi connection on anybody's network, the Chinese network from Huawei, the American network from Cisco, the European network from Nokia, whatever, it doesn't matter. Because the network traffic has no role anymore other than transport. So we need to shift surveillance at the switch, this constant monitoring architectural model where we're trying to listen and guess if the data is from known devices and move to a model that looks like cellular where I register the devices and I have known devices and provenance and cybersecurity embedded within the device. So I can use digital signature and identity and all the pieces that go with that to assure that the data produced by a device I know came from this specific device. Sure. It's actually not a very complicated architecture. It's the enormous thing we're all looking for. And we collectively as the human race are too stupid to see it in front of our faces. That's the problem. If yes. you talk to the average land engineer, they will tell you 500 ways till Sunday. Oh, we already do identity. We do this. We do that. It's not true. They still use the word port and they still rely on this ridiculously ancient model called SSL. They're yes. securing the connection. What they need to do is shift and say, okay, just ban everybody for one day, just one day in the network architecture from using SSL and using ports based to organize the network and instead shift to a model that's message-based. So there's a transport layer that's all ports and IP addresses and whatever. It has to work, routing has to work. But at the end of the day, what's being routed are messages and the messages are individually encrypted blobs. So they're tamper resistant. I can tinker with the data traffic all day long, but when I receive it at the other end, I can check its digital signature and say, oh, this data has been modified, don't use it. Yes. We know how to do that. So. This is, a, this is in some ways a very well understood architecture, and yet it escapes us in the context of enterprise compute. And, and I know this for certain because I was involved in trusted platform modules where we put tamper resistant hardware identity in every PC to do multi-factor authentication on the motherboard of every single corporate PC on the planet. In 2006, it became an industry standard on Microsoft. And do you use it? No, you use your stupid cell phone to be a second factor authenticator. Nobody uses their PC to be a second factor authenticator for their cell phone. It's crazy. So and yet the embedded hardware security is already in 1.8 billion PCs to secure your Zoom connection so that somebody else doesn't pretend to be you and log into the Zoom and you got naked people on the third grade class Zoom feed. It's crazy. Yes, yes, I hear you. And you made an excellent point that we have to move away from the connection-based, you know, uh, security to message-based security. But at this point, we, as we see now, you know, when we are online, we rely on, irrespective of whether we are trying to go on Zoom or WhatsApp, we rely on username and passwords to identify and authenticate ourselves, us, the humans. But the, our, the machine that we are using that machine is not used to you know, identify and authenticate the itself. To Correct, it's only used by the most important networks in the world, right. right? So Comcast uses it to make sure that you're the only Comcast box that's taking that service. AT&T uses it to make sure that only subscribers are on their network. 
Apple uses it to make sure that you don't hook an unknown device to iTunes, heaven forbid. They would never extend that kind of quality and security that Apple uses to their consumers. Why would they ever do that? So instead, every app, we don't log in with our device. We don't register our device. Well, we kind of do now, a little bit around the edges, but we still require username and password. Yes, but just think true. of it this way. Every single phone you have inside the SIM chip is the ability to set a PIN number so that you can require a PIN every time you dial a long distance phone call. And you know what? We don't turn it on because it's really annoying. Yes. And we rely on the fact that it's my phone. And if I lose it, I'll call AT&T and say, I lost my phone. Turn off my phone number. Yes. And yet at the same time, on iTunes or on Android, it doesn't matter whether it's Apple or Android, every time I log into an app, it goes, oh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten you. Can you please type in your password again? Because the app infrastructure has no access to the embedded hardware identity that's offered by the baseline of the phone and the SIM architecture that was offered by the carrier. So we have all the tools. We just don't yes. we choose as an industry to use a 1980s AOL model for these things we call mobile apps. Yes. Because we don't even know what mobile is. Mobile is an identity-based network, not yes. a username and password connections network. Yes, very true. And, very and true. we've gotten lost. Yes, you made excellent points there. Now, is it possible that uh, the organizations are moving away or not trying to adapt machine identity because they don't have enough resources who can understand the cryptography and who can you know, focus on the encryption and uh, can focus on the certificates and because they still, <laughs> they still, they still follow the manual processes of you know, machine identity. That Do was the see? excuse I got from a startup company called DocuSign back in the mid 2000s when they were doing e-signature and my company Wave Systems was also doing e-signature and we were trying to convince them to take advantage of the embedded hardware security that was shipping on 100% of all the Dell machines and we were building the software for it. And we we're like, why don't you extend your DocuSign service to replace username and password with a tamper resistant hardware based certificate on the motherboard of every Dell computer that ships, which was about 20 million units a quarter. So it was a large enough number even when DocuSign was a startup company. And they were like, oh, well, we don't have enough engineers and we're just a startup and maybe when we get bigger. Okay, so now they're a multi-billion dollar company and now you can just say that their board of directors and their management and their cybersecurity team do not care enough to protect your identity. Yes. Neither does a little company called Twitter. Neither does another little company called Facebook. Right, they don't have sufficient resources to write the 100 lines of code it would take, it's 100 lines of code, to enable the embedded certificate authentication capability for multi-factor hardware-based authentication on the motherboard of 1.8 billion PCs they could secure. And they choose not to. And that's why your computer forgets you. And you have to click on that little button that says, remember me. You, we consumers, are screaming for this capability. We always click the remember me button. We do not wanna type our password in every single time. Remember me is registration of my device. And so far, the major internet players, due to ignorance, due to naivete, due to purposefully wanting people's accounts to be stolen so they can sell cybersecurity upgrades, 
or purposefully enabling the government to have easier access to your accounts, for whatever reason, they choose not to enable the embedded computer security that is industry standard, vendor neutral, IEEE based, and, and aged out now 15 plus years. So the standards are stable, they're solid, they're deployable, and we just don't understand yet. So is there any specific reason that businesses, organizations, enterprises are trying not to uh, go the right way and trying to create these vulnerabilities? Because uh, as you just you know, said, and you, as we all know, most of us you know, are not uh, literate, computer literate. Most of the you know, humans, they don't understand how to manage the security of their devices. So in that scenarios, and when we know that cyber crimes are increasing enormously, Shouldn't this be the first step that you know manufacturers take up the responsibility? That let's you know make sure that we create a secure you know machine identity and you know machine the devices uh, we provide that in such a way that consumers don't have to worry about security. So the, the manufacturers have done it. It's the incompetent software developers who are talking about beautiful user interface who don't understand the most beautiful user interface for authentication. What is the best experience in the world today for user authentication? It's the one we use the most. It's the one we taught our three-year-old how to use and our 93-year-olds how to use. It's the send button. You dial the phone number and you push send. And behind the send button is a hardware-based multi-factor authentication using silicon to protect the private key and to do a proper cryptographic challenge response to the mobile network to assure that your account doesn't get stolen, right? Yes. And yet that experience, I could talk to a million UI people and they don't understand. They don't understand the experiences that the machine is this new incredible thing. We've discovered an incredible thing. It's called personal computing. It's my computer. It is not a shared Microsoft multi-tenant device with 12 people using the machine because we can't afford another computer. Nobody shares their computers anymore. Yes. Very so, true. So it's a person. So for the first time, we have a personal computing device. And so the personal computing device can be a representation of me. And so then I can have a robot that can choose a thousand cryptographically secured 32 character PKI based authentication passwords. That's what a private key is to log me into all the services that I belong. Yes. And, and you could extend that easily by saying, well, why don't I make my phone a friend of my PCs and a friend of my laptops and a friend of my cars. So when I add a service to my phone, it automatically is added to my PC, my laptop, and my car. Because those devices as good little robots work in synergy with each other to assure that when I establish a relationship, it's automatically extended to my other devices. But do it properly and safely and securely because it's my collection of things, my network of devices, my devices that are friends with each other. It's the new architecture of a LAN. And so I've spent my whole career in this. I worked on this in the PC space. I recently ran a startup in Rivets 
where we've been focused on trying to deliver this within the mobile architecture. It's very early on in its process though. What's really been hard is to get the software community to understand that we don't live in a world of any device. And they're stuck on a world of any device. And any device means I can take your Facebook password, walk up to any device and log in. Yes. And that's the mistake. That so we need to fire, we need to fire any device. That's yes. the thing that needs to go away. And when you do that, the user experience becomes beautiful. Yes. Yes, now I hear you. So uh, how do you see us bringing this change? I mean, this is a much needed change that needs to be there. And of course, regulation, you know, governments can, you know, intervene and they can, you know, try to uh, push the software developers, you know, to create, you know, the necessary changes in how they approach the machine identity and how they, you know, allow the users to log into their accounts, you know, irrespective of whether it's Facebook, WhatsApp, any of the social media. How do you see us bringing this change? I don't think it'll happen that way. I think it'll be a surprise. I, I think it'll be the company that crushes Facebook and Apple and probably even Amazon. It will be the company that discovers that Windows 95 is ready for a replacement. And when I mean that, it's not Windows, the operating system, it's the local area network. It's file, folder, and print. And we just haven't gotten there yet. We're, we're, we're naively thinking that the, the, the IoT network is about light bulbs and phone switch and, and switches and doorbells. And we forget that the original IoT network was hooking your laptop to your printer. And exactly zero people have modernized that. That's the challenge. Yes. So we have to get to work. We have to be innovative. We have to think about in all this BS that everybody talks about in every venture you know, meeting you go to about great consumer experience and infinite markets and all this stuff. This is the infinite market. This is the fundamental switch of a connection-based LAN, which has reached its natural life's end and its replacement by a mobile architecture, social network of things that is built on registration and identity. And so when I have a mobile architecture, I could have an entire campus. Let's take Facebook's entire campus and then let's set off a small nuclear leak in the middle of the campus. And so they have two days to move. So what you want is everybody to pick up their machines, everything, all the machines and walk out the door. And then they could go to Las Vegas and get a hotel room and they could plug their machines in and the network would be alive the moment they plugged it in. Because it's an identity-based network. There are no wires that are relevant. There might be wires to provide TCP IP connectivity or dial tone, but that's not important. The importance is that the network of their 100,000 things is mobile. It can go anywhere around the world. It can instantly grow. It, it works just as well at home as it does at work. We're discovering this is the need. So maybe, I don't know, maybe one of the catalysts is COVID. Yes, yes, I hear you. And I hope that uh, people can see the value add, you know, behind uh, this much needed change. So uh, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially about your initiatives? And of course, you know, your desire to see, bring this much needed change and create a network 
uh, create you know machine based uh, identity authentication network and move away to her from uh, this connection based network to the social uh, you know connectivity uh, where the software developers you know put uh, embed this uh, much needed authentication of devices in their you know code so uh, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners i i think it's about changing your thinking the technologies are all there the technologies are in Android or in Apple, they're toolkits, they're, Rivets has built some tools, many others have built tools, um, the parts are there. What's important is to begin to understand that the user is an attribute of a device, that it's really a network of devices, not a network of users. Yes. And, that, and that the users um, are, are you know, interface with their devices. I think the second one is, to always ask a question, a simple question, which is, how do I know the data I just received was intended? So there are lots of people exploring AI and, and we're hooking AI to systems that protect people's lives. But how do I know the data is real? And can I prove it? What device did it come from? What was the condition of the device when it was produced? What were the controls the device had at the time? Not trying to do that at the network layer, at the connection layer, but do that before the data is signed. And, and I think fundamentally, we need to make life easier for our users. They're looking for a persistent connection amongst their things. And the best way to accomplish that is with, with an identity-based model of networking with really great encryption. Yes. Um, so that I'm message-based. Very, very, very seldom is it necessary to have a link. And so, start to ban the use of SSL mentally. I mean, SSL works perfectly fine, but it's because you're making a connection. Drop the connection model, send an encrypted message instead. It's like an SMS or a text or a WhatsApp message or all the things that we choose to do today. Instead of I form a connection and then I transfer emails across the connection, what a nightmare. Can't check my email because the connection went away. Like, are you kidding me? Yes, I hear you, and I hope that we bring this much-needed change. So thank, thank you so much, Stephen, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on machine identity and the need for changes. Our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided today. And as a result, this Risk Roundup dialogue has been of service, and we thank you for that. So risk thank you, uh, and I apologize for my slightly rustic background, but uh, no we had one of, our, one of our horse's waterers fail today, and and they're not happy if we don't make them water again. So we've been out destroying the backyard, no, picking the water. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for that. Thank you for participating. So Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community. Through the Risk Roundup initiative, Risk Group and I are on a mission to talk with a billion people, innovators, scientists, entrepreneurs, futurists, technologists, policymakers to decision makers. The reason behind this effort through the Risk Roundup initiative is to research, review, rate and report strategic security risk facing humanity. This collective intelligence effort is essential to understand where we need to focus for our collective security and what destructive forces we need to be mindful about. Thank you for being part of the conversation. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.